Welcome to Reactive. My name is Khalil, and I'm here with my formidable co-host, Henning Gladegert. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Going <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's just uh, amazing to do this in front of a live audience. Yes, it's it's really humbling. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. <clears throat> What's happening? Um, what's happening? Um, How have you been? Good, good. Uh, yeah, um, there is. It's a good question. I, my my head is kind of empty right now, but uh, really, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> There's so much going on, but uh, yeah, no, I've been working on my little tiny draft uh, port to preact. And uh, uh-huh. so, and I'm actually also, I got Hoodie to work. Uh, so Hoodie is this backend as a service kind of uh, little open source project that's based on PouchDB and CouchDB. And um, <clears throat> so basically what you need to do is you have to install, and an NPM install Hoodie and then then run Hoodie so that you have basically that backend server running where the NPM start. And then, and then uh, there is a, a hoodie client library that you can install and use in your client, and um, and then basically when you instantiate instantiate it, you tell you tell it what the URL is for your backend, and then what it does is that it, it so it provides you with uh, authentication, and uh, when you log in, then you have a session going and it syncs itself automatically with the backend, but everything you do will just happen. So everything you do, I think uh, like anything you add to the store will be stored locally. So it's always, it's going to work offline as well if you cache everything correctly. And then it also syncs itself back to the backend somehow. And like, yeah, there's lots of magic happening there, which, which I like. I'm a magic proponent. So (laughs) (laughs) nice. So did you, did you figure this whole thing out or the setup yourself or did you have some assistance or? Yeah, I I had to get some assistance uh, from Gregor uh, from the Uh team because, um, so they are, in the process of changing some things and some of the, some of the documentation was incomplete or um, outdated. And uh, so I had to figure some things out. And so they implemented plugins. Um, So plugins in hoodie have just landed. So basically uh, from the little bit that I've uh, kind of uh, seen, it means that anything can now be plugged into hoodie. For instance, you can, you can uh, write a little plugin for a pay- payment service like Stripe, is it? Uh, yeah, I think Stripe it's called, for instance, and then um, use use that in Hoodie as a plugin. So um, very nice. Uh, so they're, they're they're about to roll that out, and now there's going to be a lot of work is going to go into the documentation to make it up to date and to make it easier for people to use it and especially also to use it in the way that I've been using it so I've been I've been uh, I, I generated my project with pre preact cli <clears throat> and so how the hoodie kind of default project worked before was that you would install hoodie with npm then generate a hoodie project and then in that hoodie project 
there would be a client JS and you would just write some JavaScript in there, maybe with jQuery or something. And but with our current, you know, front-end world where every fr framework has um, a CLI and they have very specific setups and it's like some use Webpack or all of them now use Webpack, I think, <laughs> uh, but some may use Browserify. Um, <clears throat> uh, this has to work a little differently. It has to work like how I use it now where you have, you can npm install the client, the hoodie client, and then manage, you know, the caching of your assets and the bundling and everything uh, on your side. Like it can't have anything to do with the hoodie kind of running instance. And uh, so they're and they're moving towards that as well. So Grigor told me also that told me also that they're going to be so they're working on documentation and there's going to be some documentation on um, how to use it with React, uh, how to use it with React, how to use it with Angular and all the different frameworks and uh, how to kind of uh, seam seamlessly work it into your project. So. That is, uh, this is, looks like there's some exciting stuff coming up for Hoodie. And um, now that I'm using it, <clears throat> I must say I really, I really like the simplicity of it. Because if you have, like, if you have some, some, some data that, that you want to store in the, in the Hoodie storage object, basically, um, you have a very nice kind of API that comes from the PouchDB. It's basically the pouch db api is kind of mirrored and so you can add some stuff and then you get everything comes back with a promise so whatever you add it now the whole data comes back in a promise where some some um data has been added like the id gets added automatically creation date um change date and stuff like that is added and uh and then you can you can just get all the data that's in your hoodie store and then you can find by ID, you can update it, you can update items that are in there with the update function and stuff. And so far it has been, I actually, once I got it to work, because um, what was interesting is uh, in the beginning I had problems because parts of the client um, JavaScript library was kind of expecting that that you would bundle your JavaScript with Browserify because that's how they have been doing it before, and uh, and it did not expect that certain things would not be available because what Browserify does, it's trying to. So it's trying to achieve the situation that you can basically write client-side javascript just like you can write it on no, on the node side on the backend side uh so it will poly, it will polyfill uh some node apis and some of the some of the, uh, the library code that hoodie was using or some of the packages they were using was basically just expecting those apis to be there and uh so <clears throat> so i had to like stub something and there was like a little tiny PR that I had to, uh, <laughs> to give them, push to, push to them or whatever, into, to get it integrated so that it would work with my setup because Preact CLA uses Webpack and doesn't do any of this uh, poly, poly, polyfilling madness. I see. So is the, you were saying basically there's an API in Hoodie that you talk to that essentially 
lets you talk to the local PouchDB instance. Mm-hmm. And then the magic is that PouchDB or that, yeah, the Pouch instance then is magically synchronized or synchronized itself with as connections are available with the CouchDB backend. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So where where does do they have like a a hosted service or where where do you put your No, so what you can do TV? is that you you uh, npm install hoodie and then you can you also have a hoodie CLI thingy and then you can generate a hoodie project and then when you have that hoodie project, you know, npm install everything da, 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 and then you can npm mm-hmm. start it and then you have a local hoodie backend running. So it installs okay. couchdb and everything. And then you can you and the client when you initialize the client side JavaScript the hoodie uh, client library in your in your JavaScript then you initialize it with the um, with the address of your backend instance so mm-hmm. you tell it you can reach the CouchDB instance um, at this URL okay so it knows so for your specific yeah for your specific project of Tiny draft. Where are you going to put CouchDB? You're going to host that yourself, or do you? How does that work? Yeah. So there's the there's some possibilities to uh, deploy um, hoodie, and I think so. What's possible? So you can deploy it with now from the Zite okay. people, mm-hmm. but um, the PouchDB stuff will have to be held in memory instead of uh, in, instead of in a flat file. I think it stores it in a flat file normally, and then and then you can use um, a CouchDB backend as a CouchDB service. Okay, um, that's what I was wondering. It, yeah, yeah, and just link it to that. There's something called Cloudant, Cloudant, or something mm-hmm. that you because it's probably not use. super trivial to just host your own CouchDB instance. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. What you can also do is you can, if you can get a Docker, uh, if you can get it uh, figured out, oh yeah, Docker, yeah, Docker, then you can also deploy it mm-hmm. to now, because okay. now uh, can can uh, install Docker images, but I don't know enough about Docker and don't have time to yeah. look into it. So I'm, I so once the time comes, I I will uh, I guess we'll just use that simple method of just pushing it to now and then using cloud and as a as the backend mm-hmm. and uh, but there's still some stuff that i need to implement that i hadn't that i haven't implemented yet even on the angular version of tiny draft which is like you know the the login form and the whole kind of logic of uh yeah being logged in and you know only being able to access data you logged mm-hmm. in or da, 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 you know all this this cool kind of, those things, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm, and it's uh, it's interesting to to actually use Preact instead of Angular and to see the kind of differences and and how like the, the, it makes me appreciate some of the stuff that Angular comes with comes with makes things a little easier sometimes. But it's also uh, really true what some people say is that when you learn Angular. In order to write apps, you learn Angular, and when you learn React, you learn you learn a little bit of React, but then you also learn JavaScript. You know, you learn how to uh, do stuff in JavaScript, which is yeah. which is kind of true, which is definitely true. But there's really some some nice convenient uh, convenience um, APIs uh, 
in in angular that that do some nice things with routing um for instance like you know fetch data in separate classes uh, and then serve them up for for a route in your component you don't really have to mix the data fetching into your component too much and uh, they also have something that's called guards where you can implement some logic which are also just you know separate classes from they're separate from your route configuration and separate from the components that you want to load at a specific route and in those classes you can implement some logic where you check for you know authentication or anything else that you want uh, to check for before the person routes to that route Mm -hmm. Which is also really nice that that just kind of works magically. Um, nice. Yeah, like I said, I'm a proponent of magic. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. So Very that's nice. going on, yeah. on on every now and then on a train ride or. Yeah, I was just gonna say, is that in you do that in transit, I guess, or in transit, it's really it takes yeah. a lot of time, and sometimes I don't do anything for a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and uh, and then. Yeah. But, but do you feel like fun. the the project is still small enough and and it's not getting too complicated that you can you can still get into it and and get something done? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, okay. um, it takes sometimes it just takes some focus. Sometimes I'm just looking at it, at the code and I'm thinking about okay, what are the next steps and I write that down. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I have a little time, I look back at what I wrote down and do that. Or sometimes yeah. I need to. Uh, to just install sometimes when I'm on the train I don't have internet access and I need some I need to install some package and mm -hmm. uh, so I do it at oh home yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> no because I've had side projects that were too complicated where or too they got they grew too big where I would always burn up most of the time that I had getting back to the point mentally at least where I needed to continue and then really couldn't do a lot of work and so those those types of projects then they basically croak because you don't have time to yeah to to get to move forward so i was just curious if because this is one of the things that you had said that you really like about it it's extremely small and very focused and yeah. you know easy to to concentrate yeah. on it so yeah, i was it, just it curious is, if it's still yeah, that way it, it is it is it is small but it is it, it takes definitely it, it takes cognitive load it takes some time yeah to get into it um, whenever I try to get into it again, or want to work some uh, some uh, some more on it, <clears throat> yeah. and sometimes it even feels a little daunting when I've been away for a little bit to get into it because it's like, ugh, what was you know what was going on again? Yep. I don't understand. I don't know anymore. You know, but yep. but but I but the the thing the strategy that I've been using for that is basically just um, before. So if if I don't know where to jump in anymore because it's now now i have like a bunch of things that need to be done and um it's a little overwhelming to just do it you know half an hour of something Th then mm -hmm. this half this this half an hour that i have just needs to be spent on thinking about how to cut it up and prioritize yeah. you know spend some time on these kind of times do some planning yeah. yeah do yeah. some planning yeah. and then have the plan ready for the next time that you want to work on it and then you can jump yeah. in again and that That's makes it easy to uh or th that makes it possible to actually pick it up in like one or two weeks and then just look out ah okay this was this was the next thing i needed to to do so and you just yeah and that gives you a nice entry point and it gives you it lets you it lets you back in 
uh, more easy Easier. because you yeah. can focus yeah. now on this one slice that you have determined you want to do next and you don't have you don't have to think through the whole project again you just look you look at this one thing you know exactly yeah very cool yeah so that's a good well, strategy i think yeah absolutely yeah yeah very good so that was going on also i was uh, i was um on on a on a festival um what was it was it last week oh yeah last time yes yeah because what, because what was last that? time i couldn't do it because i had to, we had to rehearse so mm. um so so, I, so me and my wife were doing music with uh, smash hi-fi and kind of we're kind of uh might be we're kind of sort of part of the group now um but not awesome. not officially <laughs> but yeah. anyway uh but yeah we so so there's been a, a bunch of tour of tour stops booked for for this year during the summer you know like every like every month there's one or two tour uh, stops uh, and some of them are in the UK and we were and last weekend was it last weekend? Yes, it was last weekend. Uh, we uh, Friday we had a slot at the Glastonbury Festival in the UK. Oh, and nice! That festival is is just pure. It's just absolutely uh, mind boggling because the, it's it has two. I think two hundred and fifty thousand people coming to this. What? Festival. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's like a little town. That they're building there, you know, like it's just like wow. There's just like a sea of just tents, and uh, and it's like and they and they employ like forty thousand people or something like that every year, and there's oh like gosh. people working there for six months before the festival even starts in order to get it all organized and just the logistics of it are just insane and. And the um, kind of security measures, and it was crazy. It was it was cool. It was really luck that we got into it because um, the the guy that does the booking for us in the UK, he um, he works on that festival as a stage manager or something. I'm not sure. And so he had some contacts, and there was a band that dropped out um, on that stage that we were performing at, and we were. And he got us in there. He just got us in there in that in that slot. Nice. And this band dropped out, so we were performing in front of like five thousand people or something. Oh, oh my god, that's <clears throat> crazy! <laughs> that was really, awesome. That was really cool. That was really awesome. It was really amazing nice. to see this machine at work, and it's also so funny because the people who work there are all kind of like very hippie leftist kind of uh, school <laughs> stuff, you know? Like you've been you've been driven around in like super fucked up dirty like uh, trucks and stuff like that it was very funny and and it was a hell of a trip because i left on friday uh like at 12 o'clock uh in the um one o'clock in the afternoon and then arrived at the stage at the stage at 11 at night because mm-hmm. it would take a it take a flight and then a train and another train and then a taxi and then da, da, da. so it was like it took you know t- 10 hours to get there and then we did our performance and then after that um one of the the guys of the group had a dj gig so i went to watch that it was three o'clock and then 
and then and then at three o'clock in the morning we went to the tent they had like tents for ready for us and then i slept an hour and then i <laughs> went back to the to to the pickup for artist pickup and they would drive us to the station i took a train and <laughs> went back oh home my gosh. <laughs> so i had like one hour sleep and then i had to take a train and then two flights to stuttgart it was it was a hell of wow. a trip wow <laughs> but it was cool it was worth it i mean you know playing at this kind of festival is yeah. uh, especially that early in our kind of you know existing uh mm -hmm. uh us being doing live shows that's our fifth live show or something like that it's a it's a big yeah. deal and, cool. uh, so i guess then if you said in front of five thousand people that means that there's multiple stages yes there's multiple stages and tents and stuff like that and of course like radiohead you know was playing like was playing like uh on a huge stage with in front of a sea of just people up to the horizon yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> it's just uh you can't you can't make that stuff up and there was like one kind of a stage or a venue or something where they they built a huge kind of mechanical uh spider that that was really really huge like i mean it was it, it was just like you know like a building it was just like, yeah just like a like a house you know the size of a house or something and it's mm -hmm. this huge spider that has like you, big lights for eyes and there's all kinds of fire spitting out of all kinds of ends of the spider and there's uh, lots of pictures um online you can find it looks absolutely yeah. incredible so gotta link a few yeah 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 it's just insane those, those kind of crowds to try to manage all that and get you know people where they need to go and oh gosh it's crazy <laughs> yeah well that's exciting that's yeah, awesome that's cool yeah What's Very going nice. on in Henningland? Well, um, like I said last time, we had this big migration, so now we're we're sort of focused on um, what I've been doing the last few days is um, coming through data and um, uh, trying to discover you know problems by doing that. So, so we I don't know if I've talked about this part already, but basically we have um, we have two ETL systems that are. Basically, software as a service, one of them is Stitch Data, which is really, really nice, very simple to use. And essentially, um, well, for those that don't know, ETL is Extract, Transform, and Load. It's essentially just a, a thing, a, a service, or a, um, a process that takes data from one place and puts it in another. And um, it can do, depending on what kind of uh, system it is, um, most of the the things that are sort of um, as a service, they do a lot of the very basic things very nicely. So if you wanted to take uh, data from a, you know, Microsoft SQL database um, on some server and wanted to move it over to, let's say, Amazon Redshift, if that was your data warehouse, for example, you can do that with by just basically entering the credentials, it'll you know show you what schemas are available on that server, and then you basically click through that, tell it, I want these tables, and do it on, I don't know, 30-minute, 5-minute, 1-minute increments or whatever, mm -hmm. and you tell it what the um, what key to use. So usually it's like some kind of date stamp or date time stamp. So you can detect change in the, in the source data, and it'll keep that thing synchronized. Mm -hmm. And then there's, of course, other things where... Um, 
you know, the database is the simplest case. That's like super generic and, and fairly simple to do. But then what if you have services um, such as maybe Stripe, uh, you know, the credit card processor, or um, maybe something like an, you know, an, an ERP system, maybe like what we have is NetSuite or, or um, Salesforce, et cetera. There you can't really just synchronize databases because it's a little more specialized. You might not have access to those. So sometimes you have to talk to APIs and, um, you know, or uh, underlying databases that, I don't know, are not not exposed in the same way as, as you know, plain old Microsoft uh, database. <clears throat> so what they do is they, they build these, these integrations. So these services build specialized integrations for these particular services. And of course, mm-hmm. they only do this for for things where they, you know, they can make money because there's a large number of people using these and they can basically charge users, hey, you know, we can get your data out of any of your systems, you know, and here's the list of them. Uh, and we can put it for you in Redshift where you can then do your um, data analysis or your business intelligence reporting, et cetera. So we have, like I said, one of one of the systems is Stitch Data, which is working really, really well for us. We do pretty much only straight database synchronization. Then we have another service that basically takes our ERP data and shoves it into Redshift. So now we can we can aggregate data from all of our um, stores, our ERP system, Google Analytics, our phone system, um, our our EDI systems, the electronic document exchange, all of these databases basically can, you can shove everything that you need into a single Redshift instance. And now you can query that basically all these sources in, you know, or you can query across all of these sources uh, with a single query. You can just join on tables from these different, different uh, systems, which is super, super powerful. So this way we basically don't have to, what we did is we, we avoided to have to build um, a, you know, sophisticated logging system that wasn't there in the beginning um, to to get state out of these systems and then aggregate that. So we just aggregate the the actual data itself, and we can run queries on that to find out what is happening in our in our systems. And it's actually worked really really well for us. So on top of Redshift, we have. Um, this uh, system called Periscope is basically a a, um, a UI that lets you write plain SQL queries and then um, displays the data nicely in in tables or in charts um, for you and you know graphs etc. And it does that. I mean, it has limitations because it's sort of a generic thing, but it lets you build stuff extremely fast. Um, so we've We've come up with a whole bunch of dashboards to try to find out where where our problems are, and it's it's worked quite nicely. So I've been been basically looking at um, various slices of data, looking at it in different ways to to determine where our problem spots are and and solving them. So that's sort of the majority of the last I I'd say two weeks is uh, just visualization stuff and. Uh, Trying to figure out what else we can do uh, to make this this even better, hmm. and then I guess the next step is this was sort of to to help us get through this migration, and then we we're going to actually use it for what it was intended, which is the the business intelligence solution. So 
try to um, build actual reports with all this data so we have a better understanding of um, how we can you know serve customers better for example which mm-hmm. will be really really interesting I mean it's it's crazy that you can basically take your phone system data your your you know website analytics and uh, your ERP data and maybe your help desk data as well and find the common identifier in all of those systems that exposes or ties together all of those different sources for a single customer, for example, Mm. and then basically follow the journey of that customer through your system and analyze, you know, ask questions like, um, you know, which the purchase of which products, for example, results in the highest amount of, um, customer service tickets, you know, mm-hmm. and is, is why, why is that? And how, how can we fix that and make that better? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's kind of nuts. Um, but it's, it's also uh, really interesting. <laughs> um, so that's sort of the one useful. Especially. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it really is nuts. Um, mm-hmm. if you think about all the, the sources you can pull together, you know, mm-hmm. and you can, so what, what we've done is sort of, is kind of along the lines too is to to basically minimize first of all discover that we have a problem and then minimize the problem mm-hmm. by understanding what the problem is and and for example what we did is figure out how long is it taking for a customer to basically process their payment information how long is it taking from that moment in time until that deposit ends up in our ERP system and um, we were having some pretty pretty high numbers there in several minutes to several hours, and that then allowed us to to dig into that and understand where those problems were. And now we're under ten seconds across the board, unless mm. something, you know, out of the ordinary happens. But essentially, somebody, you know, processes their payment with Stripe, and it, that basically takes about ten seconds to get you know from there into into the ERP system which is kind of crazy hmm. so yeah and we can we can prove that and we can look at every single one of them in in a dashboard and if things start go to start to go out of whack we can see that immediately hmm. which is really cool wow that yeah. sounds, sounds really cool nice yeah yeah it's been fun so there's been a lot of sort of um multi not multi-threading but trying to scale things uh, because what we're doing is we're moving data through um, through our systems essentially and the big bottleneck right now is our soap API into the ERP system so we've had to come up with some pretty creative ways to sort of parallelize this and um, um, because of the ERP you know I, I, I don't know if I've talked about this but the the thing is that it's very odd that, I mean, it makes sense from a business standpoint of the ERP service provider is basically a a single user login can only have a single concurrent connection to the API. Meaning if I make two calls at the same time or even if they overlap, one of them is going to fail. And you can imagine, so if you have you know, you have to make hundreds or, well, tens, let's say tens of calls per second. 
and you'd have to queue those up, you'd very soon run into a situation that is basically completely unmanageable. Um, so what they do is they sell licenses for special kind of users that give you 10 concurrent connections. And it's extraordinarily expensive. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, in the tens of thousands per year, mm -hmm. just to get that thing. So we've come up with some creative solutions to use uh, distributed locking. So basically, we have a set of credentials that we use to achieve the same kind of result, you know, and the the key or the trick here is is to not use the same set of credentials at any given time, you know, for more than one process or for more than one API request. So the way to do that is is to use this um, this concept of distributed locking, and you can do this, for example, with Redis, um, or you can do it with uh, any kind of uh, basically job queue, and that's sort of what I did. We'll probably move to Redis because there's some some more um, uh, sophisticated or more proven solutions for it. But essentially what I did, because in PHP, um, there is really no, there's no way to, to basically have, you know, the guarantee that if you had, for example, 10 sets of credentials in a database or wherever, is if you have, you know, API calls coming in, how are you going to guarantee that only one, they, were, they will be only used once. So what I did was I, I figured out to do this in a basically in a job queue because the job queue very nicely um, lets threads or processes listen to the queue. And only the, the guarantee basically is, is that only one listener will get a given job. Mm -hmm. And when, when that occurs the job gets locked for everyone else. And the mm -hmm. queue takes care of this this uh, this locking for me because I can't do that in PHP um, because there's no notion of, you know, locks in, in PHP. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at least that, I, that I'm aware of. So, the, the queue does this very nicely for you. So, basically, you just put 10 jobs in there and you have any kind of request come in, take the credentials off the queue, reserve them for the amount of time that the you know the uh the request takes and once the request is served and completed you basically release the job back to the queue and now it becomes available to to the next um you know customer or um listener basically so so you basically can create a pool of of credentials that are essentially nothing more than jobs, but that are guarded by this this job queue. And I think Redis does, does something very, very similar. So you can have multiple processes that don't really talk to each other. You can gate against them accessing the same resource, um, and you can hand out things in a unique way. Hmm. So that was a kind of fun little project to do. And uh, Cool. Yeah, I hope they're not listening. <laughs> they come after us. But it's, like, it's like, come on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that was uh, one of the things I was dealing with. So, sort oh. of a, a fun little concurrency problem, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All kinds of challenges in that job for you, huh? Oh yeah, it keeps yeah, it going. Sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So then, uh, what else? Um, so we're talking about microservices a lot. We had a brown bag today, and uh, one of my colleagues gave a, a really interesting talk 
sort of introduction to microservices. And we had some really nice conversations about that. And because um, it's sort of a, um, we have some, I guess what you would call microservices in production, but we don't have like an orchestrated system that is purely based on microservices. We're sort of breaking a monolith apart uh, into microservices. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I don't know if we'll get to that point, but um, the, the next project um, is sort of a replacement, as I think I might have said, for, for a lot of our sites. And um, the idea there is because now we've, we've dealt with these systems for so many years that we understand the problems well enough that we think we can you know, start out um, with microservices. Because I think that's one of the biggest problems is when you, when you sort of jump into a new project or something that you haven't solved before where you don't understand the domain problem or that you don't have the domain knowledge, um, your first iteration of the, of the project or going through it is sort of um, many times you're learning, you know, you're learning all the, the basically your environment is completely new. So you're learning all these, these new business rules and figuring out how this all works and you're solving these problems for the first time. And you don't necessarily, because you don't, um, you don't have the full overview yet of what you're actually going to run into, you you can't solve the problems in the best possible way because you don't have the full picture. And um, Raquel actually gave a really good example last time with that map that you you know you uncover squares and they mm. they, they become visible and there's no more darkness. But when you're when you're having a new project, there's a lot of stuff that's dark and you don't understand yet, mm. and therefore you can't solve it in the best possible way. So it ends up sort of being a little kludgy, I guess. Um, on first pass, at least that's what's my what has been my experience, um, because then also sometimes you know um, the requirements change um, or expand somewhat, and then here again you have this problem. So now I think we're at a point where we understand the domain well enough that we can we can we understand where to draw the boundaries and to break things up mm-hmm. into services. So that's sort of our next um, mm-hmm. next project is to to rebuild some things but making them uh, making use of microservices where we basically hope to take advantage of the fact that we can then have development go you know in parallel on multiple things um, more easily we can scale things more easily Um, of course this brings sort of this other problem you know it's like how do you to how do you orchestrate things that um, so they work and play nicely together, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's like, oh, microservice is so great, you know, it's fault tolerance and, you know, you can scale and you can work in parallel. And they're like, yeah, great. But you also have to glue all that stuff together and they can talk to each other mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, works. And then you have mm-hmm. to deploy it. So um, that's a whole, just, just a whole set of new challenges. Yeah, there's some new challenges. Um, with yeah. That, yeah. I don't have you guys dealt with any of that or... Microservices. Oh, I, I don't know. Um, so we are not talking to any microservices, as far as I know. We just have some few, a few services that we are talking to um, mm-hmm. from the client. Um, but uh, but I mean, <clears throat> uh, it doesn't matter where you go. But like basically any backend developer you're talking to, they're gonna mention microservices at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I have a question. So did you also talk about using 
um, what's it called again? Functions as a service or AWS Lambda or something? I'm not sure where you where basically you just um, you know what I'm talking about? Those yes, yeah, AWS okay. Lambda is the uh, is a function as a service. Basically. Function as a service. Yes, we, yeah. Are you talking about yes, that? Yes, we as actually. Well? Yeah, we have talked about that, and um, that probably will will come up, and we I'm sure we have some uses for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've identified anything at the moment but um we had sort of a uh um, what do you call it a brown bag last month about that Mm -hmm. and it was actually super interesting to see how that worked because i could never really imagine like why would you need that and how do you do that like what's the point but there's actually certain things that um, are quite quite interesting Okay, so I still have trouble to understand what the exact use cases are. So do you have some examples? Yeah, it could be something where you simply need processing power and you need need to be able to scale. And and one example was, for example, um, image resizing, something really mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's services for that, but just as a, as a concept, let's mm-hmm. say you just need CPU power to... Um, to resize images and maybe you have this very bursty situation where you know maybe for a long time you don't have a lot but then all of a sudden you need to do you know 5,000 within two minutes or something like that and you know if you you're basically paying per I can't remember what the what the measure of unit is for lambda um, or for AWS Lambda, but it's ridiculously small. So you just, mm-hmm. you pay like 0.0000, you know, two mm-hmm. cents per second or something like that. I can't remember now. But, um, and and essentially because you're not really, um, you know, you don't have any any hardware provisioned up front, you're not, when you're not using it, you're not paying for it. Right. Right. It just lies so this, there. it's yeah. really completely on demand and you only pay for it when you need it, which is kind of, really interesting and like wow we never had that before because normally you you know you have to pay for some sort of aws instance that's always on or you Mm -hmm. pay for you know a virtual machine or something like that and it just costs x amount of dollars per month and you can't really scale well the v the vm solution or the virtual host solution or whatever not as well and this you just yeah you know you need more it just um starts up more so it's yeah. pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I've been watching a talk by um, oh, I forgot the name, but he spoke at ScriptConf. Uh, ScriptConf happened. That uh, actually Rockbot talked that uh, gave a talk at that conference as well. It's uh, in Linz. Remember Stefan Baumgartner oh, yes. organizes it. It's like a JavaScript or front end conference, and um, and there was one guy. He works at a company called Serverless, and they wrote a framework in order to yeah. manage, you know, Lambda or functions as a service, mm-hmm. and um, to use them easily or something quickly. I don't know. And uh, he gave this talk about where he introduced it a little bit, and it from how he talked, like what what he was saying, it came across to me that you could really basically build your whole a whole application just with with those kind of functions as a service like you could have a function as a service that just talks to a database and fetches some data and gives it to you you know yeah um <clears throat> so it seems to me he seemed he seemed to uh, to uh propose really that case where basically you split up your your whole application into microservices and they all get implemented in that kind of way 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is, uh, is, is, is that, if that's really feasible. Yeah, that to me, sure. like offhand, doesn't doesn't make sense. But that's just because I don't understand it. Mm. And and like I said, you know, this is this is new to me as well. Yeah, I can wrap my head around the situation or the 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 instance where we say, okay, if it's truly a function, you just really want you give it some data and it does something with it. Not by you know, it doesn't necessarily talk to anything else because it's. Mm. It's just this service out there. But it's not necessarily just a re- function. It's not necessarily just a function, though. No, no, no. I mean, it can, it can be, you know, it can be a complex thing. And yet yeah, you're c- completely right. It can yeah. go and connect to other stuff. Yeah. Um, but then again, like if you're, if you're already hosting a database somewhere, it's, like I said, I, don't, I haven't yeah. thought I about this I mean, the, the example was to talk to, I forgot the name of the, Dyna, Dyna, Dynamo, Dynamo, mm-hmm. DB, Dynamo, Dynamo okay. DB, um, mm-hmm. which is also an AWS service. So I think in that case, it might work well together, where maybe the Dynamo mm-hmm. DB is also, you know, uh, I don't know. Is also maybe also the pricing works out in 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 a way so that it it makes sense. I don't I'm not sure, but it seems like uh, yeah, there's a lot of excitement about that and kind of the whole thing about that is that when it when it's not used, when that microservice is not used, you don't pay anything for it and the code just lies mm-hmm. there, and and that's and that's really it. And then and 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 so that means that if you split up your your whole application into those microservices that when uh it's just the yeah it's just more efficient how you pay for the resources that are used and and also when the resource needs to scale up it's very easy for for that to to just happen automatically exactly. yeah yeah um yeah i mean the the ease of um this kind of or the ease of access to this stuff is really remarkable. I mean, it, it does open up a whole new set of possibilities. And there's a really interesting podcast along these lines. I think it was Hansel Minutes uh, a few weeks ago that talked specifically about this, where a lot of people think that, you know, this very uh, thing that you had just talked about or, or mentioned again, basically that it's on demand and it's only pay for what you need is going to change dramatically how people build applications mm-hmm. because um, it's just a completely different sort of paradigm. And it, it uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it, you can, if you have even just small stuff, um, it becomes a lot more affordable because mm-hmm. you don't have to provision an entire box that is always on that you always yeah. have to pay for. And not only that, it's environmentally a completely different story if you think about it and you're you're utilizing resources much better That's than true. if you have dedicated stuff that sits there for i don't know 50 percent of the time doing nothing it's just creating heat right yeah so and, and it also yeah. implements the whole middleware kind of thing for you right the http yep. layer is just you don't have to think about that that's just yep. taken care of by aws and 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 then it just it just the request comes in and it automatically knows where to go and it just spins up that instance of that function and you all you you do is you just you receive the data and that function mm-hmm. and then do something with it yeah 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 it's exactly. super interesting yeah uh, it is <clears throat> I, I think uh, it's, it's, you can also do something similar with with uh, Zite with the now service because there is it works seamlessly with that micro um package so it's called N- npm package called micro 
that allows you to to just host to just write a function that then gets automatically hosted um, as a service, basically, mm -hmm. and, you, and you can deploy it seamlessly to now. But I don't know if now actually does the same thing where. Um, well, actually, now is free if you don't want to do anything extensive with it. So, yeah, it's not it's not the same where it just uh, it's only spins up when you request it. I think it's always on, but um, but you, it's it's also very easy to to build a distributed system with with that. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Very cool. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So that's what's been up with me. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. It's it's been fun, and we have some like cool it. stuff ahead. So yeah, indeed. I think that's, we're pretty much at time, huh? Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. true. That went quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So let me check. Let me check <clears throat> Fido. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I don't find anything. While you do that, I just want to shout out yeah. the script conf again because I thought it was cool. Um, that um, Stefan is doing some interesting things because he he announced uh, the next um, iteration of the of the conference already. I think it's going to be t uh, 2018, right, in mm -hmm. the beginning of the year or something. And so he started script cast where. He's creating, so he has, it's a podcast um, with, um, where he interviews some of the speakers, I think, or people who kind of relate to the subjects that were talked about at the ScriptConf. And basically, he's, he's kind of bridging the gap between conferences with, you know, this content creation, with, which huh. I thought is a very, nice. very good, you know, genius idea if you want to. Yeah keep the conference in, in people's minds. Yeah, totally. And and also kind of keep it alive somehow, you know, because people who were at the conference and then maybe listen to the podcast, it will remind them of the conference and kind of keep, it keeps the context going over that year mm -hmm. until the next, yeah. uh, um, the next conference comes up. So I thought it was a really cool idea. And uh, just is. wanted to give a shout out. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So is is that um, is that announced or he's already done it or is doing mm -hmm. it? There's two episodes already two episodes. out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So the first one okay. was I think the first one was about performance in the browser um, mm -hmm. with what's his name uh, the C CSS wizardry guy. Ah. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. And uh, and then the second one. I don't remember the, the guest's name, but they were talking about static sites and how mm. to build, you know, projects with static sites. Yep. So also a very cool subject for sure. Nice. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Excellent. Yeah. So, all right. We're going to sign off. Um, this was Reactive Episode 75. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, uh, we are, uh, you will find all the show notes on reactive.audio uh, as well as, you know, the um, registration link to get into our Slack chat that is currently uh, still very active. Lots of cool conversations going on. Um, you can um, you can reach us on Twitter as well at ReactivePod, and I am Khalil Tweets on, on Twitter as well. Yes, and uh, Raquel is Rockbot on Twitter. I'm H on Twitter, and if you like the show. 
leave us a review or just a rating uh, on a link on how to do that is or a link to that in iTunes is basically at our show notes at iraqtive.audio. And thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.